Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. What if I told you that you could pray and evangelize and lead and tithe and reform and do all that and more and still end up eternally separated from the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who has a perfect plan for you, in a place he never intended you to end up, into hell. Matthew 23 is a pretty heavyweight chapter, especially if you are a scribe or a Pharisee, or if you live like one. In a message Pastor Sam entitles Hypocrisy, or How to Be Religious and Still Go to Hell, we look at the woe to yous that Jesus spoke to the scribes and Pharisees, and really anyone who claims to be religious, yet does not know the Lord. Matthew 23, Hypocrisy, or How to Be Religious and Still Go to Hell. What if I told you that you could pray and evangelize and lead and tithe and reform and do all that and more and still end up eternally separated from the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who has a perfect plan for you in a place he never intended you to end up into hell? Some people have a problem with the idea of hell itself. You need to know that hell is in the Bible, and Jesus spoke of it as a place of everlasting torment. If we have everlasting life and everlasting joy and everlasting, well, all he's purposed and planned for us in his presence, we can't say, well, we can't believe or can't accept that there'd be such a place as hell. God never created it for people. It was created for Satan and his fallen angels. And for people to get there, they actually have to deny the light that God gives them, reject the light that would bring them to him. And tragically, not just those caught up in cults or various other fringe groups, but even people who consider themselves believers in Jesus will find themselves in hell. Can we be sure about it? Well, as to the cults and others, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That means those followers of Buddha and Muhammad and, and Krishna and Jah and Yah and any of the others, Oz or those people, whoever they might be, though they may be as sincere as you are, they are sincerely deceived. And, and listen, it's, it's a tragic end to believe a lie and find that that lie has led you away from the one you thought it would lead you to. But it's not just those who are caught up in cults and, and those groups, because Jesus told us earlier on in Matthew's gospel, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And as they say, I did this and we did that and all of it in your name, all of that for you, Lord. He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. How could such a thing be? you got to know that, that he's talking to people who actually knew he was and is the Lord, who acknowledged him as the Lord, and yet for some reason, well, never made him their Lord, never submitted their lives to his lordship. I believe those people, will they fit into the category of the religious. And you got to know that being religious and being righteous or acceptable in God's sight, hey, they are polar extremes. It's possible to be very religious and spiritual outwardly and yet inwardly still dead in trespasses and sin. And we can see that oh so clearly as we look at 
Matthew 23 together today. Now, Jesus is speaking, we find in verse 1, to the multitudes and his disciples. But know this, the Pharisees and scribes are nearby. They are a part of the multitudes listening in. And as Jesus begins to, well, pass judgment on them, to lay a heavy trip upon them, I think they would have pulled in. He says, speaking to the multitudes and his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. This is the essence, by the way, of hypocrisy. Saying one thing and doing another. Pretending to be something you're not. And what he's saying is, hey, if they're teaching and they're teaching from my word, well then, do what they say. But by all means, avoid what they do. Why? Because they were teachers but not doers of God's word. Verse 4 says, They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders so that they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Binding heavy burdens, laying heavy trips on people. Listen, it all started about the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. After they had come back and, and they from their captivity and they were there, they found a copy of the law and they stood all day long while the law was read to them. And then they just wept and, and mourned and, and repented of their sin before the Lord. And then the scribes set out to, well, define the law more clearly. Now the law, as you... Look at the Old Testament. It's contained in the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they would consider the law. But when the scribes got together, they said, Well, you know, I'm not sure everybody really gets the law. Not in its purity and not in its intention. And so they've set out to define and amplify and clarify the law. In doing so, get this, they came up with 50 volumes on those first five books of Moses. Most of it's centering around the Ten Commandments in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. And so, basically, they came up with 50 volumes. Now, that's a heavy burden if you just want to even get a set of it or carry it around or study it. Remember, this is before the days of CDs and where you know just didn't have the pop it in my computer and check it out at my leisure. Now, it was a heavy burden, though, because they were adding to the Word of God. And, and they came up with some absurdities, and some of you have gone down this road with us before. They had determined that breaking the Sabbath, which said you're not to work on the Sabbath, well, what's work? It must include doing anything that would involve any form of work. Some of those forms that they figured out, well, if you had false teeth and you put in your false teeth on the Sabbath, they felt you were working and violating the Sabbath. Now, to me, and I'm simple... But to me, if, if you try to eat without your false teeth, it sounds like you'd be working harder on the Sabbath. And then they said if you had a wooden leg and you put it on, well, then you were violating the Sabbath because you were working on the Sabbath. Again, hopping around on one leg sounds like harder work than putting on your wooden leg. And that's the kind of absurdity that they led to. And they actually codified this stuff and, and they were serious about it. And so if you really wanted to please the Lord, you needed to keep the law. Well, what's the law? Well, there's the Ten Commandments. Well, is that it? No, we got the book of Leviticus. Well, will that do? No, we got Deuteronomy too. Well, is that okay? No, we got 50 more volumes for you. You could spend your whole time and never even get through it, your lifetime. And so they were binding heavy burdens, but he says, hey, they weren't really willing to lift them themselves. Then their works, he says, dealing with their motivation in verse 5 all their works they do to be seen by men. 
Listen, Jesus dealt with this earlier also, and and it's important that we deal with it. When you're a little child, pretty much everything you did, you did to get attention. That's just the way it is. And when you're a parent of a little child, you actually play along because it's just darn cute. And whatever a two-year-old does, you're like, oh, look how cute he is. And people are like, man, I don't know. That could be scary if he were 20. Oh, they'll grow out of it. And then you see him at 20, and the parents are like, oh, my gosh, you know, they're the same. And, and here's the deal. As, as we grow, we better mature. If we remain people that are looking out for attention and applause and adoration and affirmation, well, we're going to be all messed up and all mixed up. We're going to mess up and mix up others. And that's what they were doing. You see, they were mature. They were the religious leaders of the day, scribes and Pharisees. They were supposed to be worshipers of the Lord and witnesses for the Lord. They were supposed to be drawing people to the Lord, but they made it so hard to come to the Lord that they were actually keeping people from the Lord. And so what they were doing was a show. It was pretense. They were doing what they did to be seen of men. They made their phylacteries broad. Now, we don't use that word. All it was was little prayer boxes. And by the way, it was scriptural. God said, I want you to write my word and keep it on your forehead and keep it on your hand. And they took it literally. They actually wrote out the scriptures and they put them in little boxes and they wore them on their forehead and they wore them on their, their, their bands on their hand in a little box. That was the phylactery. But, but what's the point? Well, that was all well and good if they were doing it because they wanted to please the Lord. But the boxes kept getting bigger, you see. And you could see them a long way away and you think, oh, how spiritual they are. Look at that. Man, how is he even keeping his head up with that big box? And, <laughs> And really, how big was his head if he had a big box, you see? But but they were doing this not to please God, not to bless God, not to honor God, but to, well, gain the recognition and the adoration of men. Not just their phylacteries, but they enlarged the borders of their garments. These were a part of their prayer shawl. It was just to remind them of the law and that God was holy. But remember, their motivation was, hey, let's have men recognize us and take a look at us. They love the best places at feasts. Well, who doesn't? Of course, we're like that. We want the best seats if we go to a feast. What's the best seat at the feast? The closest to the table where the food is. But but it's not just that, see. Maybe we could slide with that, but they wanted the best seats in the synagogues. And the synagogue wasn't set up like this. They had it set up where, well, if, if you were, well, An outsider, you were in the back. And if you were a woman, you were in the back. And if you were a child, you were in the back. And pretty much the only people up front were those people that, well, they looked and acted and felt important and superior. And so these guys, man, they were not just near the front. They were up in the front where everyone could notice them. In fact, get this. Their chairs didn't even face this direction. They faced that direction. How creepy would that be? Sit around a whole bunch of people. Let's see, uh, oh, people, I wonder if people are noticing me. And how should I act so they'll think I'm spiritual? Let's see. Oh, wow, I don't know the words to this. That's going to be a bummer. And, but all of the things are, did I, or do my socks match? And, oh my gosh, mine don't. But all of those things would be on your mind. And, and, and so that's what was going on. They wanted to be in a position of prestige and honor. And they were doing it because, well, they wanted not God to applaud them, but men to applaud them. Then he says in verses 7 through 9, they loved greetings in the marketplace to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Really, it's honored Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And don't call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. He who, he who is in heaven. It's hard to say no matter how you say it. 
spiritual father is really the point. We're not to tell our kids, they don't call me dad anymore, you know, it's unbiblical. Don't call me father, no. What they were talking about is, is an exalted spiritual father. And then don't let yourself be called teachers or exalted teachers, you know, reverend, father, teacher. For one is your teacher, the Christ. What he's saying is like, don't let titles be your thing. Don't let that be your badge of honor. Let it be a meek and humble serving spirit. Now, early in my ministry, I had some interesting experiences in this area. I started getting mail addressed to a guy named Reverend Allen. And I thought at first it was a mistake, and then I realized, oh, it really is my mail. They just don't know me. And, uh, and so Reverend Allen, I thought through it, and I thought, that's kind of weird. And then we started putting our services in the newspaper, and they put in the newspaper, Reverend Allen will be teaching on. And I went in, and I said, you know what? I don't want you to put Reverend Allen as teaching on anything. And, and they're like, well, why not? It says Reverend everyone else. And I'm like, well, I've been studying my Bible, you see. And reverend is only used of the Lord in Scripture. It's never used of anybody else. And I I just feel a little uncomfortable using a title that's ascribed in Scripture only to the Lord and having it attached to my name. So I said, would you mind just putting pastor? And he's like, well, there's no way I can put pastor. And I'm like, well, why not? Well, we just can't do that. Now, here's the irony. There's two parts of the church page. One lists all the things that are happening, all the messages that the pastors are doing that day. So if you looked in yesterday's paper, it would say we're teaching on hypocrisy today. And, and so, and, it, and, and on that part, well, I couldn't get him to, to take off Reverend and put pastor. It just says Sam Allen. Something would have made my dad happy since I'm a junior. You see, hey, my damn name in print, you know, finally. But, but I, I couldn't get him to take, I could get him to take it off. I couldn't get him to put pastor. Now, why did I even want pastor? Isn't that a title? Well, not in the same sense. It means shepherd. It means servant. It's one who loves God's sheep, feeds God's sheep, protects God's sheep, cares for God's sheep. So I have no problem with someone calling me pastor because, hey, if, if I am at all, well, well, that's what I am. Someone who loves you guys and feeds you, nourishes you in God's word and, and does my best to protect you by warning you about the things out there and, and well, and in here. But, but the bottom line is, on this other page, just next to that page, there's just a list of all the churches and where they are and the pastor's names. And lo and behold, it says Pastor Sam Allen, Pastor Larry Lane, Pastor, um, you know, Dave Workman. And I'm like, how come it can say pastor over here, but it, it can't say pastor over here? And he said, well, you wouldn't understand. And I'm like, I mean, what is there about newspaper writers that can't use that word to describe you in two places on the same page? Well, I said, well, we're just not on the same page here. I went home and I did some more studying and I came back and, and I found that in the newer translations, they had taken the word reverend and they no longer use it. Now it says awesome God. And so I came back and said, hey, here's the deal. How I should put awesome Sam Allen is going to be preaching on or teaching from but check the paper. It doesn't say that. He still won't do it. And uh, the bottom line is I wouldn't want it to say that either. But I just had to mess with him because I felt like the guy's just messing with me, you know. <laughs> but here's the thing. Why don't we want to wear titles? Listen, there's nothing wrong with accomplishment. If you're a Ph.D., that's wonderful. But if you have a card and it says Ph.D. and you pass that out to every person you meet, that will distance them from you. They'll automatically assume that you're somewhere or someone or something that, well, they're really not on your level. And God never wants that, you see. And he certainly doesn't want that in the spiritual realm. 
I stopped golfing years ago because I'm just a hack. I'm bad. And, and, but I used to golf and I'd go out and golf with people I didn't know. And, uh, you know, golf is, well, one of the reasons I stopped is golfers, like, well, rappers have a very slender vocabulary. And, uh, and it just seems like, you know, they curse a lot. Now, it's not that I can't live with that, but it's still, you know, it's a bummer. And I would never tell people who I was or what I did. You know, you just introduce yourself by name and you'd get out there on a foursome and you'd be about five, six, seven holds down and say, so Joe, what do you do? Well, I'm a banker. I'm an investor. I'm so-and-so. Well, what do you do? And I'm, well, I'm a pastor. And they'd be like, oh, man, they start kicking the dirt and, you know, and I'm so sorry about, you know. And I'm like, hey, you're a lousy golfer. I, you know, I understand why you're cussing, you know. And, but, but truly, we should be offended by that. And God certainly is offended by it. And, and in the end, I'm like, you know what? It's really the Lord. I mean, you're using his name in vain. If I were you, I wouldn't be asking me for forgiveness. I'd be asking him for forgiveness. And the bottom line is, these guys, well, they were taking titles and they were wearing them as badges of honor and it was causing distance between them and the people God wanted them to minister to. We don't want to let that happen to us. Then he gives us an age-abiding principle in verses 11 and 12. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be abased. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Just aspire to be great in God's eyes, you see, not in man's eyes. If you make yourself a servant and you're a servant of all, not many people are going to say, man, you're awesome, you're wonderful, I'm just blown away by you. But God is going to say, I am so pleased and so blessed. Because there are so few that just say, Lord, whatever you want, whenever you want, whoever you want, I just want to serve. And so that's what he's called us to great in his sight much better than great in man's sight and whoever exalts himself abased or humbled whoever humbles himself exalted if you understand verse 12 that means you're going to be humbled either way and i'd suggest it's much better to humble yourself and have the lord lift you up than to exalt yourself and have the lord have to well it's always a bummer to be humbled in front of other people. Well, he goes on now to pronounce eight woes on the religious leaders of his day. And this gets to the heart and the core. And they're going to be kind of rapid fire. We're not going to do a lot of exposition of them because, well, they speak for the most part for themselves. Eight woes. Six times he uses the word hypocrites, play actor, pretender. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You see, that was an unforgivable one for our Lord. It was bad enough that they weren't entering into the kingdom, but they were supposed to be doorkeepers. They were supposed to keep the door open. And they were shutting it in men's faces. So woe to such a person. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Now James will later write that pure and undefiled religion before the Lord is to visit widows and orphans in their time of affliction. But not just to visit, the word actually means to go and to provide for, to, to make Make their needs, let them make their needs known and then you do all you can to alleviate that suffering and those needs. And, and, and so what he's doing is he's saying the very people that should have been going representing him, well, they went, but they were taking advantage of the widows. They were taking property from the widows. 
instead of caring for them. And in the midst of it, they're like, well, let me pray for you at least. And he's like, man, prayer that's simply a pretense, you will receive the greater judgment. So it's the first of many that we'll see in sort of rapid succession. You can pray and you can still end up in hell. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 15. Hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You can not only pray and end up in hell, you can evangelize and end up there, and here's why. These guys weren't recruiting people for the kingdom of God. They weren't drawing people to the Lord. They were drawing people to themselves. Paul will later write and warn that in his absence, there in the church of Ephesus, that savage wolves would come in from without, not sparing the flock, and perverse men would rise up from within, trying to draw men aside unto themselves. That's, that's exactly what he's talking about. And you've got to know that this is the essence of what goes on in cults. You know, cults, if you talk to a cultist, and, you know, they, they usually, if you call them a cultist, it usually, well, it, it, it sort of puts a damper on the whole thing. But if you say your group or, you know, your thing, what's unique about it, and, well, where's salvation in it, one of the things you want to ask is, can you be sure that you're actually saved? Can you be absolutely sure that you're forgiven? And, and if they're honest with you, the vast majority would say, well, no one can know that. I want to tell you, biblical Christianity says otherwise. You can know that you're saved. These things we know. If we know we're in Christ, we know that we're sealed until the day of redemption and we are saved and we will be saved. We're headed to heaven, not because of our works, but because of his work for us. But the cultists, what they do is it's, it's salvation through affiliation. It's why when we have a baptism, we baptize into Christ Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not into Calvary Chapel. Why? We don't want anyone to ever misunderstand and think you're saved because you go here or you affiliate with us. Not so at all. It's not about us. It's about him. And cults, primarily, they're like, join our cult, become a member, do this, give that, serve here, and you, well, if things go right, you'll be saved. But the bottom line is, those people, they, they make converts, they make proselytes, they bring people into their fellowship, but, but they don't bring people to the Lord. And then those people go out and they're just filled with zeal because maybe their life was a mess like some of yours were. And, and I know people that were on drugs and they got involved in cults and they got away from the drugs, but they're still now in a cult. It's better than being stoned, but they're still lost spiritually. Woe to you blind guides, he goes on to say. There's a graphic picture for you. Scripture says if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in a ditch. And so he, they had figured out some loopholes and they were like, okay, well, you know, they had a problem with their oaths. They, they made oaths and they didn't want to keep them. So they, they came up with this idea. If you swear by the temple, well, you're off the hook. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, you're obliged to perform your oath. Fools and blind, he calls them. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift on the altar, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? What he's saying is, this, listen, it's the temple and it's the altar. Those are the things of God. Your gold and your gifts? Well, get it in perspective. They're only worth something because you're placing them in the temple or giving them to the altar or placing them on the altar. Then whoever swears by 
The altar swears by it and all things on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. What's he saying? Well, our Lord tells us, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. We don't have to take oaths. We don't have to swear on a stack of Bibles. We don't have to swear by all that's holy. In fact, we're just not to swear at all. In Ecclesiastes 5.5, we are told that it is better to not vow than to vow and not pay. Now, I understand the need for contracts and agreements in this modern world. People need to have recourse to the law when they are deprived of something they have paid for or have been promised. But in our personal lives, why is there a need to say that I swear to do something or promise to do something? If I simply say that I'm going to do it, am I not believable? Or do I need to add a swear or promise to it so that others might trust me? Now this is something to think about and it brings clarity to what God meant when he told us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.